So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to John 15, and we're going to read the first 17 verses there in John chapter 15. Jesus tells us, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But, this is, but through this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit and so prove that you are my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. I've been looking forward to this message for quite a while. Um, partly because I've recently gotten very into gardening. And as I often do when I get into something, it's for gonna last a short amount of time. I'll be very obsessive about it and um, will be pretty mediocre uh, when you take into account all the effort that gets put in. Um, this last week, I, I yelled at my wife for removing an ear of corn that wasn't ready. And um, I regretted it. I, um, I've apologized. Uh, she, um, she didn't know that you can just look inside the ear. You know, she pulled it off and, and I got very upset. Um, so I tell you guys that for two reasons. One, just so you know, I'm a rotten human being on the inside. And the other is so that you, uh, so that you know how much, how passionate I am about growing things and um, agriculture. I, uh, <laughs> I've tried to, uh, I've tried to grow a lot of stuff from seed this last uh, season, and if you've ever tried to grow anything from a seed, you know that there is not a 100% success rate. Um, every step in the growing process, you lose some, and so not all seeds uh, take uh, begin to sprout. And not all sprouted seeds take root successfully. Not all uh, plants that have taken root are able to successfully grow into healthy plants. Not all healthy plants are able to successfully grow fruits or vegetables. And those that do grow fruits and vegetables uh, are not even necessarily all going to uh, grow good ones or grow them abundantly. Uh, you may have a tomato plant right now that is full of tomatoes that just are never going to turn red. And uh, you know that pain. Um, this is... 
the nature of starting from the very beginning of something. In fact, if you've ever dealt with infertility um, in your life, in a family, you understand the pain of this because in the very same way, when you start with a human life, um, there is no 100% success rate. Um, and many people have gone through the pain of miscarriage because although, um, although they were pregnant at one point, for some reason, the baby didn't make it. And uh, this is a fact of life that we understand about growing things, about, about reproducing in the world. And this morning, what I, what I think is important for us to be able to do is to start at the very end of what Jesus is saying here. Really, the, the result, the final product of what he's talking about, which is fruit. This passage is, is about a vine and branches. It's about growth. And Jesus is talking about growing spiritually, but it seems that he very clearly indicates what comes as a result of that growth. All the way at the end is much fruit. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. According to Jesus, the goal is this, bear much fruit. And he makes a very bold claim, which is apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. You can do nothing. But in me, you can bear much fruit. This idea of being fruitful is one that resonates with all of us. Because in some way or another, that's ultimately what we want out of our lives. We want to live lives that are fruitful. Now, people have different definitions of fruitful. But I actually think when you look at the Bible's definition of what that means, you still find a definition that most people really want, that they really like the idea of. Because the Bible describes fruitfulness or fruit as really the kinds of things that we associate with life and with a good life. Uh, probably the clearest definition in the New Testament of what fruitfulness and fruit looks like is in Galatians. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And what it says here is this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. So Jesus says, you can produce fruit. You can be people who live lives that are fruitful. And what that looks like you see here, the, these traits, joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says these are good things. And even if you're not someone who wants to cultivate these things in yourself, I'm pretty sure that you want to be surrounded by people or you want to live in a world with people who have these traits. We want to live amongst people who are patient and gentle and kind, who are loving. We want these to be the people that we share our community with and our life with. And most of us want these things ourselves. This idea of, of being able to grow and achieve something that we don't already have for the sake of having a better life, this is not a new idea. This is a universal thing that we all desire. How to be fruitful, how to grow how to have a life that is abundant. In some way or another, those topics have made those two words, how to, very big words 
in our lives. How to. There's a variety of ways that we, that we look for the way to grow. I went on Amazon this week and I typed in how to. And then I did a little bit of filtering because people pay money to get their stuff you know, ranked and everything. And so I, I typed in how to and I just, I just looked at the most common things that people are buying, the books that we are buying that be, because, they, they, because we want to know how to be better at something. Because this is ultimately the goal. Of any book that you buy, this is how to. It's like, I, I, I need to do some work. I need to learn something so that I can be fruitful, so that my life can grow, so that I can grow in my life. And I think the things that we, the books that we buy, the things that we look for, the, the things that our goal of how to addresses says more about us even than what we do in order to get to that place. I'm gonna show you guys some of these because they're awesome. Number one thing that comes up, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, okay? This book was written a very long time ago, as you can see. It sold 9,703,000 copies. I think that's like the McDonald's hamburgers thing. They should just stop putting it up there. It doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, My old boss told me to read this book, which I don't think that's a good thing, Um, but he did, and I read it, and um, I still don't have friends. But how many of you have read this book? A lot of people, okay. How many of you have heard of this book? How to Win Friends and Influence People. All right, there's like movies about it and stuff like that too. So uh, number one thing on Amazon that has been purchased after the words how to is this. How to win friends and influence people. Because how can you in any way be productive or fruitful in life without knowing how to do those two things? How not, this comes up and you put how to, how not to die. That's a good one, right? How not to die, right? Pretty simple concept for a book. Uh, eat this stuff and you won't die as fast as people who don't eat this stuff, right? This is pretty, pretty valuable, right? Put this stuff in you and you'll live longer. No? Yeah. But will you be happy is the question, right? That's the, that's the question that we all ask, right? What kind of life are we talking about? How not to die? How to talk so little kids will listen. There's another one, how to talk so kids will listen. This is the little kid version. I know this version because I bought this book when this came up in the search. We had just been talking about this. How do we get our kids to listen? Unfortunately, um, you don't open it in chapter one, just says volume, talk louder, which I was hoping it would say because that's mainly been our approach. It's just (laughs) talk louder and then yell and scream. How to talk so little kids will listen. This is the third thing that comes up. Breaking the habit of being yourself. How to lose your mind and create a new one. And this is from the author of Evolve Your Brain. So this book is dedicated to being able to stop being who you are and be someone new. Which speaks to a significant trend that you will continue to see in the books that come up here. How to fail at almost everything and still win big, okay? So if you don't know exactly what to do, well, first of all, we all fail all the time, right? We fail a lot in life, right? So some brilliant person was like, hey, I know everyone fails, so let's just write a book where I say you can fail and still win, right? But we talked about this over the last several weeks. The Bible describes wisdom as uh, being on a path that goes in a straight direction. And foolishness is, is being on a path that does this. And the reason it is is because if all you ever do is learn by making mistakes, if your entire way of learning is by just 
a shot in the dark, make a mistake, and then figure something out after that. You, you will make progress, but it'll be like this, and it'll be pretty painful. But you can still fail at almost everything and still win big. This, come up, this came up like crazy, how to train your dragon. I don't know what that's all about. How to release... Your trapped emotions for abundant health, love, and happiness, the emotion code. How to release your trapped emotions. You may be like, I don't have any trapped emotions, you know, but, but he does, right, or whatever. <laughs> we need to release those things. The order, in order to achieve an, abundantly, an abundant life, abundant health, love, and happiness, there are things within us that we have to be able to understand, that we have to be able to mine in ourselves and get out. That's how we are fruitful. That's how we grow. And how to improve your social skills. How to improve conversations, stop people pleasing, and improve your people skills. I'm not sure how those three work, but, you know, because you don't people pleasing, but you're improving your people skills because, you know, everyone likes people that don't want to please them. How to improve your social skills. This is something I figure you just learn in school at some point or whatever, and then you move on in life. Nope. This is very high on the bestseller list on Amazon. Why? Because lots of people still don't feel like they understand how to socialize with other people. How not to hate your husband after kids. <laughs> A book written out of necessity, I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> this was my favorite one that came up. This author is an author that I'm a big fan of. His name is Michael Pollan. He's written books on food. He's kind of a food critic. Uh, he wrote uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which is a book that says in a country where we kind of have all kinds of food we can eat, we don't really know what the American diet is. And so the only thing we know how to do is just kind of have these really intense crash diet type things that we do. And then he wrote a book called In Defense of Food, and it got people talking about like what kind of food is good for you and not good for you and stuff like that. And he's really this, uh, like, like he's a literature professor at Harvard. He's a very straight-laced guy, and he writes on these things that a lot of people probably think are pretty boring. Well, he wrote this book called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. Psychedelic Drugs. And he said, in describing why he wrote this book, he said, I reached a certain point in my life where I had not had a single significant spiritual experience. And I began to look at the ways that people do have spiritual experiences, how they broaden their mind. And what he realized was that science is now using, and I'm in no way advocating this, science is now using this type of approach, psychedelic drugs, to give people the ability to open their mind enough to finally be a different person. You come back again to this idea that you can have all the knowledge about who you want to be. You can, you can see the goal and then just never get there. You can want to change in such a big way and just not be able to change. Because it seems like you're the one in the way of that. And that some people get so fixated in thinking one way for their whole lives that they have to go to such extreme measures in order to be able to open up their mind and their consciousness enough to finally start to think differently. These are the things that people are saying as they're wrestling with this question of how do you actually live a fruitful life? This is not a new idea. This idea that you can see all the things that you want to have. I want to be good with people, and I want to know how to succeed and take risks, and I want to know how to communicate with 
even little kids, because my life depends on it right now. You can have all the things that you want to do, but you're still going to hit the same brick wall every time, which is, but how do I actually change? How do I do it? How do I take that step? And that frustrates so many of us to such a degree that we just don't know how to move forward. Many spend their lives overwhelmed by this, and they give up. They go, I can't change. Many beat themselves over the head with different methods and ways to change who they are constantly and reinvent themselves. This is something that I learned about in doing ministry. In the beginning, I was naive, and I thought, once people got the right information, they would change the way that they lived. They would, it would help their lives. It would help them grow. But then over the years, I began to realize that that wasn't how it worked. That you could have all the right answers and you can know all the things that God says lead to a fruitful life, but still not actually be able to change in a meaningful way. That was the hard part. Well, it turns out I'm not the first person to discover this. A pastor who was writing um, sort of a, a book of advice for other pastors in the, in the 1600s wrote about this. His name's Richard Baxter. And he wrote this quote in a book. He wrote, there are many of our flock that are young and weak, who though they are of long standing, are yet of small proficiency or strength. So he's saying they've been around the church for a long time, they're of long standing, but they're of strong proficiency or strength. This indeed is the most common condition of the godly. This is the biggest group of people in the church. Most of them content themselves with low degrees of grace. And grace is like being able to actually live out what you see in the Bible. And it is no easy matter to get them higher. To bring them to higher and stricter opinions is easy. But to increase their knowledge and gifts is not easy. And to increase their graces is the hardest of all. So this Puritan minister in the year 1659, in a world that was much more favorable towards belief in Christianity, encountered a huge group of people who knew the right things, but to grow in grace, to actually be able to profoundly be changed by these things, he said, it is no easy matter to get them higher, and this is the largest group of people that you'll encounter in the church. And he's not saying that to insult the people of the church. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, get ready. This is what your job will be as a minister. It's to not just teach people things, but to help people understand how do you actually change. Jesus says in John 15, 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus' answer is this. If you want to be fruitful, there is only one way to do it. It is by abiding in me. That's a pretty bold statement. To have a life that is fruitful, that is abundant, that reproduces itself even, depends on abiding, he says, in me, which means remaining. These things that he talks about, this fruit, it's dependent upon the right environment and also the right cultivator. It requires the right resources and the right knowledge of growing, and it requires the right kind of an environment in order to do it. 
He has created that environment with his disciples. He has given them a community to be a part of. That's the environment. And he's given them the food and the nutrients and the things they need, which is he calls the word of God. He says, the words and the commands that I give to you. This metaphor is, I think, the most profound metaphor for spiritual life in all of the Bible because it is so simple. And it is this. If you want to produce fruit, then you can, but you have to be attached to me. Oftentimes, the longer that you live, the more cynical you can become because every book you read promises that they recognize the problem but doesn't solve it. Chapter one of every book is so great because they do such a great job of articulating this thing that you're dealing with. But how often do you get to the end and you're like, they really delivered on that promise? I often have people asking me when I'm reading a book, how's the book? I say, well, we'll see if it delivers. If it does, it's gonna be amazing. Jesus says, I will deliver on that promise. I can, in me you can bear much fruit. The good news is it is possible. And the way to do it is to abide in the vine. He says, there is a vine, and this vine, it's a grapevine. All the language he uses, abide, vine, branch, all of these things are things that you would see describing in the Greek a grapevine, an environment where grapes are grown in a vineyard. And he says, and if you want to produce the fruit, the first thing you gotta do is you gotta find the plant that, that grows it. And you gotta find that plant, and in this case, you have to attach yourself to it. You kinda graft yourself into it. And that's one of the ways that he describes conversion, is the idea of being grafted into this, to this plant that produces good fruit. In me, you can have that. Now, this is not entirely foreign to us. We understand that you have to be connected to something that gives life in order to produce life. But we connect ourselves to lots of different things. A lot of times it's the thing you find your identity in. A lot of times it's the family or the environment that you're born into. You say, this is the thing I'm connected to. And from this thing, I'm gonna produce a fruitful life. These things that we see. But according to Jesus, and he often makes these bold claims, especially in John, there's only two options. This is uh, the book of John. He's very clear about his purpose, John is, in writing. He says, I write these things so that you will believe in Jesus. So the whole thing is like a big commercial for Jesus, the Messiah, saying, okay, all the stuff you've seen him do, all the stuff he's said, everything, that is intended to show you who he is so that you say, I will be attached to that vine because I know that even though Jesus makes a bold claim, he says, I am the truth, everything else is a lie. I am the light, everything else is darkness. I am life, everything else is death. All of it is found in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, like we said last week. All of it is found in me. That's a bold claim to make. But he says, it's true. And John shows us. With every interaction Jesus has with the people, with all the miracles and all the authority that he has, the things he teaches, and what happens as a result. He says, I am the vine that you can live in if you will be a branch and be attached to me. Now, what he isn't saying 
is I am going to give you the answers and tell you what to do in every single situation you ever get in your life. Because this isn't the way Jesus works. He doesn't say fruitfulness is behavior. Fruitfulness is being a certain kind of person. It's being the kind of person who will be able to do the right thing regardless of the circumstances and the situation. It is not knowing the right behavior and then telling everyone else to do those things. It's about who you become and who you are, not what you do and how you act, if that makes sense. This is what Jesus teaches us about what it means to be fruitful, to be attached to this plant. And so the instruction is simple. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. All we have to do, this is it. It's super easy. There's one application in this entire passage, and it is this. Abide. Stay. Remain. The word that he uses for abide is meno, and it means to remain or to stay or to reside. You may have heard remain in me, stay in me. Reside is like dwell, like the way you would in a house. To to make your home and your life in me. Jesus' instruction is this, and it's very simple. No matter what happens from this point on, disciples, whatever you do, remain in me then you will produce fruit, and you will have life. That's it. It's that simple. Remain in me. If you don't, he says, you'll be cut, out, you'll be cut down by the gardener, and you'll be cast into the fire. You'll wither, and you'll die. The branch that remains in me will produce fruits. The one that does not will wither and die. This is one of the hardest truths in the Bible. You're either growing or you're dying. There is nothing in between. We would absolutely kill for something in between. In fact, as we've said again and again and again in John, when Jesus comes, he usually says, there's this or there's this. Now choose. And we would give anything for something in the middle. Okay, is there any way that I can just not be growing right now because, you know, what's going on in my life or where I'm at or whatever. I'm not, I'm not growing. I wouldn't say this is like a time of great growth for me, but I'm also not withering. I'm not dying. I'm not wasting away. And Jesus says, you're either connected to me in which you have life and you're growing or you're disconnected from me in which you are dying. I mean, the third option is the one that we would all kill for so much, but the Bible's really clear in speaking against this thing it calls lukewarmness. And this whole idea of being lukewarm is just being in the middle. It's just saying, I know it makes sense to maybe think, well, being in the middle is better than nothing at all. But what you find in a spiritual life is that that's not true. Because usually when you're in the middle, you think you're doing really well. And at least if you're dying and withering and wasting away, you're closer to knowing that you are in that place so that you can find life again and be growing and living. The only way to grow is to stay. Now, what does it look like to stay and to grow through anything, right? That sounds overwhelming. So for the rest of my life, no matter what's happening, I'm supposed to be growing. I'm supposed to be fruitful and everything's abundant and things are good. No, 
Psalm 1 says, the man who, who delights in the law of the Lord, it says he is like a tree planted by streams of water. He bears his fruit in season, but its leaf doesn't wither. So there's a season for bearing fruit. There's a season for life to look a certain way. And there are seasons where we often lie dormant. It doesn't mean that we're dying and wasting away because we're still connected. But what we don't do is we don't wither. So it's okay that there are seasons in our life. It's okay that there are hard times. And for many, spiritually speaking, the better our life circumstances get, often the worse we do spiritually. Or for many, we feel beat down and discouraged and alone and isolated, and then we feel depleted. Yes, there are seasons in life. This doesn't mean you're happy all the time, you're excited all the time, you're like upbeat and positive all the time. What it means to be Growing is simply this, you're remaining. Each day you wake up, you say, today I will remain. I will stay connected to Jesus, no matter what happens. And why wouldn't somebody stay connected to Jesus? Because apparently it's hard to stay connected to Jesus. Apparently, you're going to want to disconnect yourself from Jesus and stop being connected to him and finding life in him. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and there are two aspects of remaining. One of them is the environment. He's saying, as I leave you now, I want you to remain in community with each other. We've created this community together, and it's going to be in this community, the church, that you must remain. There will never be a time of your life. There will never be a circumstance or a place where you do not have a home in the church. Remain. And what he also means is remain in me, drawing life from me, which means there will never be a time where my word, where talking to me, where worshiping with me is not ultimately food for your soul, even if it doesn't feel like it. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Both of these are things that we are prone to wander from. He seems to know this because he's warning the disciples not to do it. They've just had the most intense spiritual training season, Jesus College, whatever you want to call it, for the last three years. They could for every, they, they, could, they have every opportunity to say, he has given us more than enough. We've been together way more than we needed to be. He gave us way more stuff to work on than we could ever work on in our lives. So let's go our separate ways. Let's go live our separate lives out. And by just being ourselves, we will be fruitful. Jesus says, don't do that. You will wither and you will die. Because you need to keep being connected to me. Even if you feel like you have all these great truths. Even if you feel like you've formed these great relationships now. Even if you feel good about it now. The answer is not, this was okay for a season in your life. This was okay for a time in your life when you really needed it. Now you don't need it anymore. You will always need to be connected to these things. But there's reasons that it's hard for us to be connected, to remain. The first one is this. We get comfortable. And you go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all, right? If you were comfortable, you'd be totally connected to something. But the more comfortable that we get, the more routine things in our life become, the less we tend to value those things, the less we tend to see the importance of them, the less we tend to be intentional with them. One of the worst things in a relationship, it seems, is to, be, to get too comfortable with each other. 
Couples are always doing so great when they're getting to know each other and uncomfortable with each other and still figuring things out. And then the more comfortable you get with another person, the easier it is to let that relationship begin to suffer. And so we get comfortable in in church, in the community. It becomes a routine. It's a thing that I do every week. I go to this place. I do this thing. I have this way that I serve. I have this group that I've been in for a long time. We talk about these things. It's easy to get comfortable with, with even God's word, with even talking to him in prayer. We pray the same prayer every time we pray. We pray the same way every time we pray. We pray with the same people every time. We, 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 I'm going to read the Bible. It's going to say the same thing. It always says I'm going to respond the same way I always respond, and we'll move on. And it will never tell me the things I don't want it to tell me, and it will always tell me the things that I expect it's going to tell me. And we get comfortable. And when that happens, Jesus' answer to us, his response, his encouragement is, remain in me, not in the routine, not in the empty activity of doing some of these things, but remain in me. Abide in me, in Jesus. We don't just get comfortable, uh, we get bored. We get bored. We get bored with community. We get bored with the church. We get bored with being around people. And uh, as a result of that, we wander away, we drift away. We say that was good for a season, but now I don't need it. I needed to make friends, now I don't need friends. I've got friends, I'm bored with that, right? I, 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 needed, uh, I needed spiritual things. I needed, I needed to read stuff in the Bible. I needed to talk to God. I was going through a rough time or whatever, you know. But now it's not like that, and I'm bored. And because we get bored, because we feel apathetic, we just kind of, our heart just sort of wanders away from this thing. And to that, Jesus says, instead of being bored, when you're bored, in the midst of being bored, remain in me, abide in me. Well, wait a second. When I'm bored in a season of my life, the answer is to change my life, right? It's to change my circumstances. It's to change the things that I'm doing and what I'm going through. Well, that isn't necessarily the answer when you're bored in life. Oftentimes, the answer when you're bored in life is what is going on within me that is causing me to just feel this way about all the parts of my life. Not only are we bored, we get restless. The average amount of time that a person is a part of a church body is a few years nowadays. Because we go somewhere and we have some kind of an experience and we feel filled up and then we get restless. We go, I don't feel like God's moving there anymore. I don't feel like God's doing something in there anymore. I feel like the community is what it was anymore. And we get restless and we move on. We do it with jobs. We do it in relationships. We do it with friends. We do it with hobbies. We do it with gardening. We do it with whatever. We get restless. I'm a restless person. And the number one thing that gets in the way of me abiding is my restlessness. The number one thing that makes it difficult for me to simply sit in God's word on a regular basis is not that I think it's boring. Because I've learned it's not boring. I I read the Bible. Then I thought it was boring. Because I was like, I've kind of learned everything in here, obviously. Then I realized I didn't know how to do any of the stuff that I had just read. And then I realized that I didn't understand most of what I just read. And now every time I open the Bible, it isn't boring for me. It's interesting and it's challenging. And I'm generally every week sharing like one-tenth of like the things that I thought about in reading it when I even give a sermon. But I get restless easily. 
and my restlessness that says to me, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep doing things. The busyness and the distractions and the things of my life are constantly trying to creep in and say, ah, there's more, there's more than this. And, and abiding feels like settling. It feels like giving up. It feels like being lazy. It feels like not having a sense of direction or vision or passion. And that's what restlessness does to many of us. And because of that, we bounce around all over the place. And so we get restless, and Jesus' answer to that is to say, remain in me, abide in me, abide in the community that I've given you, abide in my word, even though it's going to be hard for you to just stop and give me some of your time instead of going on to the next thing. The other thing that happens is we get weary. Jesus is not, it, sometimes it seems like he's not the best, you know, at, at a sales pitch because then he comes along and says, and good news, right? If you produce much fruit, guess what? The gardener's gonna come along, he's gonna prune you, okay? Which means he's gonna start cutting things off of you. And I don't know how plants feel. Uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet with the whole gardening thing. I am talking to them, but I don't know how they feel. But I would imagine that that's a painful process. And pruning is one of those things that if someone who doesn't understand pruning or that it has to happen looks at something like my kids watch me pruning things and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Is, it, is the garden over? Because I'm cutting things off of it. I'm cutting things away. Yesterday I had to cut all these flowers that had died off of a big, beautiful bush that we had so that more could grow. And they didn't understand it. So if you don't understand how pruning works, it looks mean, it looks cruel, it looks like someone who doesn't care anymore and is just being reckless or destructive with that thing. But what Jesus says is, if you bear fruits, then the gardener will prune you so that you can bear more fruit. What's the goal of pruning? The goal of pruning is to make sure that all the energy going into that plant can be focused on the parts of it that will grow fruit. And so there's an aspect of pruning that is pain. We call it suffering. There's another aspect of pruning that involves simply letting go of things. Now, Jesus is making, trying to make life make sense to these guys. He's saying, you're going to do the right things, and you're going to wonder why life is hard. You're going to wonder why you're suffering when you're choosing to do what I tell you to do. How can we be producing fruit? How can we be living this great life you're talking about if it's so painful much of the time? And, and why, are you, why does it constantly feel like while everyone else is able to amass so many different parts of their life, that we're constantly thinking about the things that we're letting go of? How is that fruitfulness? He says, because you're being pruned so that you can bear fruit. And the reason that most people would honestly say that they don't know that they're really fruitful in life, regardless of how much stuff they have or how many people they know or how many opportunities they've been given or how many places they've seen, is because they've never actually focused on the bearing of fruit, but just growing and growing and growing as big as they can. But many of us, through this process, grow weary. When the pain comes and the suffering comes, we get tired, we get discouraged. When, when we let go of things, but we don't want to let go of them, or we struggle to see how that's something that could ever really be good in the end, but we still do it out of obedience. We grow weary and we grow tired, and our tendency is to what? 
it's to give up. It's to walk away. It's to take a break. And Jesus says in those times, remain in me, abide in me. This is the dumbest thing ever, but I keep thinking about this idea of like a grapevine that won't let itself be pruned. And I have this, this image in my head. Has anyone ever seen the three amigos? There's a singing bush, okay? So that's what the image is in my head. It's like a singing bush. And you've seen it? Yeah, there we go, okay. And um, it's, it doesn't really even have to sing, but I think it's probably shouting some things, you know, probably inappropriate things while it's being pruned. And every time the gardener comes to prune this bush, it just slaps him, you know? It's got these like long tendrils that are slapping around. It just slaps him, you know? Stop, no, stop. Uh, what? This is freaky. This is weird, right? What's going on? Okay, eventually the farmer just avoids this grapevine, this bush, this shrub, because he doesn't want to deal with it. He's like, we got a lot more of these things. We're kind of going by numbers here, so let's just avoid the one that doesn't want to be pruned. We don't care. We'll do the other ones, right? And so everybody knows that this one will not allow itself to be pruned. Any opportunity that they have to come into pruning, it's going to slap them and say, knock it off, stop. I don't want it. Stop, 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 right? Well, what happens, right? It would get bigger than the other ones. It would grow large. It would grow wild. It would look probably in many ways more impressive even than the other ones that are actually producing fruit. But would it produce fruit? Maybe a little bit, but not very much. If given the opportunity, we would all turn down the pruning. I mean, let's be honest, right? We would turn it down. If God's like, hey, here's the deal. If you do this, it's going to be really painful. I promise it'll lead to fruitfulness. What do you say? It's your choice. No, thanks. I'll pass. Let me know about the next one, right? We would turn it down. We would choose to not be fruitful. But we don't always get to turn it down, do we? Most of the time, we don't. And the crazy thing about it is we're like, you know what, if I have to admit it, yes. Suffering does produce something in me and in my life that ultimately leads to fruitfulness. So much better than when life goes my way. That releasing and letting go of things that are unnecessary in my life ultimately does bring me to a place of fruitfulness. When we get weary, his response to us is to abide, is to trust. He says, I've given you the church, and so abide and remain in this community of people that I've given you. Don't go off, disciples, to all your old places and all your old stuff that you did. Stay together. And when you go off, form another church. That will be your family. But the basis of life for you, your source of life will be a relationship with Jesus. It will be through his word. He says, the words that I have spoken to you. Remember, he tells his disciples, he says, you are already clean because of what I have spoken to you. The reason he says that is he's telling them, you guys are actually, you guys are good. You're, I'm, not, I'm not chastising you. I'm not, I'm not reprimanding you. I'm not telling you you need to do something you're not doing. I'm saying what you're doing is great. Keep doing it. That's it. You can produce much fruit in your life. All you have to do is this one simple thing. It is to remain in me. You're like, that does not sound that hard. That does not sound very difficult until you try to remain, until you try to abide each and every day regardless of what is going on in your life. What will I do today? Whatever I do, I will remain. I will abide. I will dwell in him. I will be a part of his community. There will never be a season of my life in which I won't, even if there are seasons of my life that are more difficult than others, where I have more time than others. And I will dwell in him. 
I will go back again to the things that he says to me in his word. I will go back again and talk to him directly. I will do that even in seasons where it's difficult. Why? Because he, he was very clear and it's very simple. The answer is always the same thing. Remain and abide. And so it's what we encourage each other to do. The answer is not you have to be happy, you have to be talking about all these amazing things you're learning and how great you are and all this amazing stuff. The answer is you encourage one another even to abide and to remain. You remain through all seasons, whether they're seasons of joy and plenty or seasons of suffering. You remain through your youth, into your adulthood, into old age. You remain when there's no one beside you to help you remain. And when there's tons of people around you to help you remain, you remember that life isn't in specifically those people, it's in Christ. And so it's not just about having a bunch of friends. You remain when you're in a church that you don't like. You remain when you're very involved in a church you do like, but it's all just the stuff that you do, and there's not much behind it. You remain when you're in a hard marriage. You remain when you are raising your kids. You remain when you are trying to have kids and you can't. When nothing in life has changed at all in the last 20 years, you still remain. When you think things in the world are finally headed in a good direction, and you're like, okay, I'm done needing God now. Nope, remain. Believe me, they won't be for long. Remain. And when everything is falling apart and you want to give up hope and just be ready for heaven and you're done with all of it, remain. Don't give up. Remain in me. Our tendency will be to think that we can live on our own, that we can do things on our own, that we don't need him anymore. Those disciples had every opportunity to say, we've had so much of Jesus. We can now do it on our own. In fact, isn't that kind of what God would want for us? And his response is, no, remain in me more because you're going to keep needing to be connected to me. Pain will come. Suffering will come. You will be forced to let things go and give things up, but it will, the answer will always be the same, to remain. One of the things that, as a church, we've done over this last year is we said we're going to take a break from a lot of the programs in the church. And we, a lot of regular things that people have really enjoyed, people have really loved, things that, that kind of are who we are as a church, Right? I've heard people say all kinds of things ranging from this is the thing that built our church to this is the reason I'm at our church to uh, this is what I love most about our church. And we've said we're going to take a break from most of the programs that we do because we want to focus specifically on connecting with each other directly, not, not side by side doing something, but face to face. And we want to help get in the habit of bringing each other to Jesus, bringing each other to the word and in prayer. But as we've done that, it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle for a lot of people. It's been a struggle for many who aren't comfortable doing those kinds of things or who say, this doesn't feel like the place that I used to be in church at. And the answer in those times, in those situations, is remain, to abide, to dwell. Early on in my faith, I became so convicted that there would never be a point at which the word of God did not, was not the most relevant thing in my life but I was always really, really bad at ever just sitting down and reading the word of God, talking to him in prayer. I was really bad at it, terrible at it, undisciplined, restless, constantly going in a million different directions. Somebody said to me, if you get a tattoo of a grapevine on your arm, then technically 
you're connected all the time. So even if you don't do that stuff, which it turns out wasn't true because I've had some bad seasons and I think I was probably disconnected at the time. But I am constantly being reminded that no matter what goes on, no matter how hard it is, and I, I have accepted, I have completely accepted that if I live to, into old age, on the day that I die, it will not be easy or natural for me to remain in some of these ways that, that you just think are easy for people who maybe are in the church for a long time. To be inclined to go to the Bible because I know that's ultimately where life is found. To be inclined to get on my knees in prayer because I know that's where life is found. To just naturally be overflowing in a desire to worship no matter what's going on in my life because that's where life is found. And, believe it or not, I know in the same way I will struggle to be a part of community with other people because uh, it turns out other people are a total mess and a huge pain to be in community with. Yeah. Thank you. It's kind of a bit family. This is the truth about these things. This is the most realistic thing I think that Jesus teaches us knowing the way people are. He's like, I know you're all a mess. I know this isn't easy or natural for you. And I know that the core of the fall of man was about wanting to be independent of God and do it on his own. And so my encouragement to you is this. Just abide. Stay connected to me today whether it's good or bad. And what's the advice that you give each other? You don't have to know all the answers. Just remind each other to abide and to remain.